Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler-Madden. My guest today is Simon Shake, founder of Australia's first fossil fuel-free super fund, Future Super. Before starting Future Super, Simon led GetUp for six years. Um, For those unfamiliar with this organisation, GetUp is a member-based independent movement to build a progressive Australia and bring participation back to our democracy. Yay. In 2014, Simon co-funded Future Super with his business partner, Adam Verwey. The company has a rapidly growing member base and is successfully disrupting the Australian superannuation industry by proving there is demand for high-impact, sustainable investments. I have been really looking forward to this interview because I think Future Super is such a powerful example of a company that is meeting the changing needs and expectations and desires of the marketplace, having to balance both um, profit and purpose. It's also a David and Goliath story, right? And who doesn't like who doesn't love a David and Goliath story? So let's get into it. Simon, welcome to the For Love and Money podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for being willing to talk about such an exciting topic uh, and such a powerful topic. The combination of love and money—it's something we don't spend enough time talking about. Oh, brilliant. I'm glad you share my passion for this. Um, Look, I'm kicking off with a question for all of my guests. Um, And so I'd like to put to you, what does purpose in business mean to you? And what is your perspective on the role of love in business? Well, thank you. That's a a wonderful question to start with. And I guess you you could take that in so many different directions. For me, Uh, love uh, is something that uh, drives a lot of what I do. Um, I've got a son who will be 35 in 2050. And in 2050, of course, it's not that far away. The world is on track for three, four, maybe more degrees of warming. And so love of family is a really, is a powerful starting point uh, when it comes to finding your purpose and being willing to drive yourself towards that purpose. Uh, But for a long time, I've also had a wider love, as I'm sure many of your listeners do as well, for people on the planet. Uh, And I think progressive politics, uh, progressivism as a principle in general is based in the notion of empathy. The fact that we care for each other, not just our families and friends and the people who are immediately around us. That's easy to do, that comes naturally. But actually that we have a care for something broader, that we have a beautiful love and respect for nature when we find ourselves walking uh, through the bushes or a wonderful forest, but also that we love people who we've never met on the other side of the planet. And that's something that I spend a lot of time talking to my five-year-old son about. Not sure I've quite uh, cut through yet, uh, but I think it's important to start early. You've started him early, haven't you? You've got to start early because at the end of the day, we're trying to raise a generation of people who aren't insular. Um, The world is increasingly insular. We're going in the wrong direction in so many areas. um, And it's because we're caring too much about the people around us or about our own family units which actually doesn't work long-term because you can't ignore the interconnected nature uh, of the planet. I mean, COVID-19, for example, is the perfect example. If we cannot support our brothers and sisters and everyone else um, in Jakarta right now, for example, where COVID is running rampant, then we know it will come back to Australia um, even more aggressively than it already has. This is a great example of where uh, borders don't really matter. You actually have to love beyond Uh, uh, just the people around us. It's actually something that I've been uh, reading recently about 
and thinking about in a religious context, um, that's where the preachings of you know loving others, uh, just as you would love your own neighbor or love yourself, is so present in so many different types of scriptures uh, and other biblical and other religious documents. And yet, it feels like we've forgotten that in recent years. I look. I love. I love your message there, and I think it's such an important one, particularly you know in a time where we have politicians who are using division and using judgment versus empathy to create that division, you know, just to shore up support. Um, It's very much a manipulation. And your message of empathy, of love of family, you know, and and the future you want to create for them, of, of, of love of nature and our planet. But also, you know, what you're saying is love of people we don't even know. It's just love of humanity, isn't it? Finding the best of us rather than, you know, trying to justify our own self-serving positions. Yeah, that's fine. And of course, there's power in bringing that into business. Uh, To have purpose in business is so important because there's been this artificial distinction that I remember was actually more present 10 years ago um, before we started Future Super than I feel like it is today. But I remember regularly having conversations with people who would draw artificial distinctions especially in my own life with my own story, having spent a lot of time in the public service, then a lot of time in community activism, and now in business, uh, people like to silo those three parts of who you are and, and what you do. But actually, if you think about it, there, there should not be a distinction uh, between those areas, right? Business uh, should be about delivering something for the community, delivering something for your customers, but more than that, actually delivering something for, for the planet, in our case, uh, having this raison d'etre that goes beyond See, when we started Future Super, the point was not to start a business because we were looking for a good business opportunity. Couldn't be further away from that. We were looking to solve a problem, which is the climate crisis and making sure Australia was making a great contribution to solving the climate crisis and realising that our $3 trillion now superannuation sector is one of the largest pools of capital in the world. It can fully fund the transition to renewable energy or it can continue to fund the industries of yesterday. And so our purpose, of course, is to point us on the right, to be on the right side of history, to challenge the sector to be on the right side of history. Yeah, brilliant. Well, look, this is a great time. Can you can you articulate, you know, what is Future Super's purpose? Sure. Well, Future Super's theory of change, if we want to start there for a minute, is the belief that Australia's superannuation sector can massively contribute towards funding climate solutions. We issued uh, some research, we commissioned some research from the University of Technology, Sydney, that found that just 7.7% of Australia's superannuation savings invested up to the year 2030 could fully fund the transition to a 100% renewable energy powered electricity grid. So of course the question is, how do we make the system work? How do we get the money flowing? And our theory of change is quite simple. We take customers from other superannuation funds, uh, they notice and they then respond in turn uh, in taking their own climate action steps. And that's exactly what we've played out. Superannuation funds are what we call low churn. That is to say, very few people bother leaving their superannuation fund. And so when you see thousands, tens of thousands of people now taking that action, it actually has a disproportionate impact because of the outsized nature uh, of the sector overall, but because also so few people actually bother to change. And then of course, our job now is to model what it looks like. Um, to invest in climate solutions uh, such that the rest of the superannuation sector can also follow our lead and stop losing customers to us. And if you think about that purpose, it could just as easily be an activist campaign as it could a social enterprise or a for-purpose business. 
Absolutely. And there are more entries in this category now of ethical super funds, aren't there? It, it, it's clearly growing. It's uh, actually the fastest growing segment of the Australian superannuation industry. Uh, and uh, it may even be one of the fastest in the entire financial services sector. People understand the power of their money. Um, once their friends and family share the message that your money has power, it has an opportunity to invest in the solutions of tomorrow. Or if you don't do anything with it, it will do something on your behalf, which is invest in the problems of yesterday, yesterday's industry. And so that notion that we have a responsibility to steward our money, but also that our money has power, that's what's driving this rapid uptake of people saying to themselves, you know what, I don't want to be exposed to all the risks associated with the massive energy transition. I actually want to be on the right side of that. I want to get out of fossil fuels. I want to get into climate solutions. That's where I think the future is going. Our average customer will retire around about that 2050 timeline, the same time that my son will be 35. Um, that's a very powerful uh, thing to reflect on because we know there's a turning point here. If by 2050, we haven't got climate, uh, the climate sorted, if we haven't got carbon pollution and temperature rises to below two degrees, then we know we're in grave trouble. We know the permafrost is already thawing. Um, this, is, this is a crisis situation right now, and yet we're giving people something tangible that they can do right now that also has a disproportionate impact because thousands of us are doing it at the same time. Yeah, brilliant. And, and it goes to um, what, what I see as an implicit contradiction in the industry. You know, the industry is there to serve your customer's future. But what kind of future are your customers and their children going to have if we don't take action now? Well, the power in this is, is, is really being able to bring it back to a financial argument. It is superannuation at the end of the day. We, of course, are very passionate about making sure that we leverage people's retirement savings to build a planet that's worth retiring into. But we do that through a financial lens as well, not just a lens in terms of the love of planet uh, and of our members and our empathy and our care for their own future. It's also just a financial argument, right? Which is to say that the transition is happening. I mean, just look at the two and a half million Australian households with solar on their roofs that have created, I think, a death spiral for AGL, a, a massive listed company, largest polluter in Australia. It's now at a point of no return where it's going to be very difficult for them to turn that around. Now, did you want to be an investor in AGL who, who, sure over, who saw over certain time periods their share price halve? Do you want to be an investor in AGL again, or do you want to actually be an investor in the next AGL and the next energy company of the future, one that's prepared to embrace renewable energy? There's a strong financial argument to say that markets are not pricing in the pace of transition, the risks associated with that. We know that if we're any chance of keeping our climate safe, 80% of the world's known carbon reserves have to stay in the ground. The oil, the coal, the gas has to stay in the ground. And yet a lot of that is on the balance sheets of companies right now that people are valuing. People are assuming when they invest in some of these fossil fuel companies that they can extract value when logic tells us they can't. Um, and so by definition, there's a very strong long-term financial argument for ethical investing, not just uh, an argument that is based on morals and ethics. Yeah, and, and that's the most powerful argument, isn't it, when it's both. Um, at Another guest of mine, um, Jeff Manchester, co-founder of Intrepid Travel. At Intrepid Travel, they they describe profit and purpose as a package deal, um, which which I think expresses it so clearly. It's it's yeah that long term financial argument is 
is really important. So tell me about your members. Who are they? Well, they're quite diverse. Um, they're in every state and territory in the country. Um, it skews rapidly between majority male and majority female and other genders as well. Um, it, uh, it, the typical member is in their 30s, but we have a large number of members in their 20s, a large number of members in their 40s as well, uh, and a smaller number of members in other age demographics as well. They're, they're often working in caring parts of our economy or service parts of our economy. So we have a lot of teachers, we have a lot of healthcare workers, a lot of public servants more broadly, uh, a lot of people from the higher education sector. It is diverse, but we actually have found over the years that we've got people who work in coal companies, for example. Wow, really? We've seen the most interesting demographics come through. There's, there's someone who works for one of Australia's, large, or maybe more, uh, but uh, at least one person who works for a large gas uh, company as well. There are people who, who just get it and want to do the right thing with their money, even if they haven't yet been able to orient the rest of their lives um, in a way that makes sense. There's an amazing campaign in the UK at the moment, Make Your Money Matter. Um, and I met the founder of this movement who's well known um, because he's also the founder of things like Mr. Bean and um, Notting Hill and Love Actually, lots of films like that. He wrote the, um, uh, the, the Make Poverty History campaign. And Is that Richard so, Curtis? Richard, exactly, Richard, exactly. I wasn't going to say his name because, you know, I don't want to sort of drop that name, but yes. Uh, had a really exciting conversation with him some years ago because he searched the world and said, I've understood now that pensions matter, the superannuation industry matters. Uh, and in that campaign, what they're doing is they're telling people in the UK, they're showing them, how do you measure this, right? You could, so what would it take if you were to switch your pension in the UK uh, and you wanted to have the same carbon impact some other way, what would you have to do? And they talk about how you'd have to never have to fly on a plane again. You'd have to swim the English Channel uh, if you were if you were going to travel overseas every time. The the power there's so much impact that can come from switching your superannuation relative to other actions that I think an increasing number of people are actually starting here rather than finishing here. Got you. And so I'm going to take that back to who your members are. But what, where I want to go with that is their narrative. So you you know you said wide demographics you know, no gender bias, particularly different industries, although an emphasis on, you know, caring service education industries. What's the narrative that, that brings them together? What is the shared belief or worldview that they yeah. have? The, the, uh, the average member of Future Super finds out about Future Super from someone in their social network uh, or someone in their family, which tells you that they're the types of people who are talking uh, about these issues, not just talking about climate change more broadly, but out there actively looking for what they can do personally to be part of the solution. You see, there are hundreds of thousands of people who over the last few years have taken to the streets to march for climate action. And that's the type of person who says, I also want to do more. I want to move my money because that votes for me every day. Even if I can only vote every three years or four years in a state election, I can actually vote every day with my money. So it's the type of person who feels a sense of agency, um, a power, um, a, an ability to bend the future, a belief, um, uh, some level of optimism um, that it's actually worth taking three or four minutes to take action and be part of something bigger. Uh, but they're also the type of person who aren't just taking action quietly. 
They're telling their other super fund that they're leaving. They're telling their friends and family, hey, I've discovered this really interesting thing that you can do. We, we don't market ourselves with a very large budget like lots of other um, you know, big financial institutions would do. We really rely on building a movement of people and a movement of people, um, a lot of academic research in what makes up a movement, but a movement is really about uh, multi-channel and multi-direction communication. So it's not just about us saying to you, hey, you should join Future Super. It's about you talking to your friends and your family and interrogating what we do and giving us feedback, but also having direct conversations with others in the financial services system or others in your, or your social network or your family. A movement works like that. It's a web um, of communications that occur. Uh, and that's the type of person, someone who wants to be part of a movement, that's the type of person who's attracted to be part of Future Super. This is different, by the way, to lots of other examples of really great ethical investment companies out there, where you find that the theory of change or the purpose for being is embedded in making the individual feel good. It's very common for, um, not just in financial services, but more broadly, for companies who are working for purpose, a lot of their message is, I can help you feel better about yourself by taking this action. That's not our message. We're not here to make you yep. feel better. We're actually here to solve the climate crisis and we need you as a lieutenant in the army ready to go. And that means it's not enough to switch your super. Um, it's not enough to talk about it, to think about it or to do it. We actually need you to do it and do it loudly and tell everyone that you've done it because that's how we're going to keep building the movement in order to get to the tipping point that we want to get to where it's a no-brainer for the mainstream financial services sector in Australia to be all about climate action. That's brilliant. And the, your clarity of purpose and the idea of building a movement and, and bringing collaborators and activists on that journey, who will tell other people and grow the movement? Uh, I mean, that must just give you clarity in everything you do, every initiative you undertake. And I want to get into some of those initiatives, but before we do, I, I, I don't want to assume that our listeners have clarity on what normal superannuation funds invest in. So can you share with us what some what some of Australia's super funds are investing in? Yeah, sure. Well, one way to understand that is to understand that half of the Australian stock exchange, the market capitalisation, the value of all the companies on the ASX is made up by superannuation funds investing. And so when you see the ASX 300 moving on the Alan Kohler report on the ABC News at the end of the night, if you watch that, um, or digest any other type of press there, what you're really seeing is that half of that value is, is in your super and the super of your friends and family and our, our broader nation. Um, but in addition to investing in listed companies in Australia, superannuation funds are investing offshore as well. In fact, they're increasingly investing overseas. Um, we are not, we invest overseas, but not necessarily at an increasing rate. And that's because a lot of the major concentrated pools of capital just can't find more places to invest in Australia. If you're a very large $100 billion plus superannuation fund, then you can find it hard to justify making a $20 million investment that's going to be a game changer for the development of the next battery project um, in a regional town somewhere in Australia. But actually those types of $20 million investments in a $100 million project, that's actually critical because the renewable energy revolution needs people to not just fund the big sexy solar farms that are easy to fund now and you know they're, they're a dime a dozen, but to actually go, you know what, what else needs to happen if we're going to make this happen? We need manufacturing sectors to change. We need the transportation sector to change. We need to take diesel buses off the road. There's so much that we've got to do all the way down the line and uh, an exciting fast paced superannuation fund will invest there. 
Um, others will stick to what they know, which is toll roads and airports, et cetera. So outside of Australian and international companies and shares in those companies, ownership of those companies, people are also superannuation funds are heavily invested in infrastructure. Um, but typically when you have a look at that infrastructure, about 70% of it falls into three categories. Um, that is airports, um, uh, toll roads, um, and uh, utilities. And those three sectors make up the largest percentage of people's unlisted. So things that aren't in the stock market, those assets. In our fund, no airports, no toll roads, <laughs> no utilities. Um, we're all about solar farms, wind farms, battery projects, uh, lending money to exciting initiatives, social impact bonds, um, water purchases, all sorts of really interesting assets that have a bigger environmental impact. Um, and we think are on the right side of history. Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for that. And I, th I think, is there some way that um, people can actually see um, where their investments are going? I mean, we're, we're all so passive about our super, aren't we? We put something there and then we leave it and that's it. But, but you know, particularly I hear stories about some super funds that are investing in arms and stuff like that. How, how can you find out about this? Yeah, well, almost every superannuation fund in Australia is exposed to the manufacturing of nuclear bombs. And Whoa. This is, I mean, even that is, and that's not just like, oh, there are some, almost every super fund um, is. And they don't, you know, it's so hard to find that out. You can, in that particular example, there's a report called Don't Bank on the Bomb. You can Google it and read about financial institutions like Westpac, for example, who are one of the larger lenders to controversial weapons. Um, we are one of the few super funds in Australia that does not invest in the big four banks, to give you a practical example. Uh, in terms of how you can find out, well, ever since we think back, seems like a while ago now, but when Kevin Rudd was prime minister, many of us were uh, arguing that superannuation funds should tell you where they invest. And it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. There's always another reason. There's always another crisis. Now it's COVID. Uh, but with any luck, it won't be delayed again. And very shortly, Australia's superannuation funds will have to tell you on their website where your money is invested. Um, it feels like it's really, really going to happen now. Now, a bunch of super funds do, including very large super funds are pretty good at their disclosure, but an enormous number of them, it's just impossible to find out. It used to be, for example, that you would only see the top 10. And for a lot of people, that is still there. So the top 10 holdings in Australian equities in the Australian share market, for example. And when you looked at the top 10 of the mainstream option and the ethical option, they were in the exact same top 10. Now, we're making progress as a sector. That little bit of transparency has meant that people have had to change. I actually think when Christmas time this year, when superannuation funds have to disclose, we're going to see a lot of pressure now when people realise that some of the largest superannuation funds in Australia are calling themselves ethical, sustainable, focusing on uh, net zero by 2050 emission targets, and yet lending money to Adani. Um, which, which many of us know, a uh, you know, very large uh, uh, problem for the world if the Adani coal mining operations in North Queensland, Central and North Queensland um, take place. So the, 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 the ironies, I think, are going to be um, public well, once that transparency is there. But unfortunately, right now, it can be very, very hard um, to know where your money is. In fact, even if you ask the superannuation fund, sometimes they'll decline to answer. Right, but you're saying by Christmas that transparency will come through. We've said that, I've said that many times before, so I'll just say <laughs> it with that caveat, but I actually do believe that now it really is coming. I just don't think that could possibly be delayed any more years. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, tell us about performance because I'm, I'm thinking one of the barriers, people are going to say, 
Yeah, but I really need to accumulate as much as possible. Have you got any stats or figures on performance? Well, to give you just a practical example, we're speaking in July of 2021. Over the last three years, our Renewables Plus growth option is a top quartile option. It means it's in the top 25% of all returns in its category, balanced superannuation funds. So we're really proud of the returns we've been able to generate. And what's interesting is when you look at, the, at where those returns come from, ethical investors more generally seem to receive less volatility overall. Um, and that's a function of in down markets. So for example, during the COVID crash, um, in 2020, um, we saw the market crash very significant in March, April of 2020. Uh, we saw uh, the average superannuation fund decline rapidly. Uh, for future super, we were one of the best performers, one of the absolute best performers in the market for our category of superannuation fund during that down market. Now, when the market's going really, really strongly, we typically won't go up as much um, because we're exposed to longer term assets. But as a result of not going down as much in the downtimes over the last three years, we've been able to generate some really strong returns for our members. Now, more broadly, there is just extensive research about the power of ethical investing, the outperformance that can be there. And so uh, there's this, I think as humans, we're, we're trained in our minds to search for what ifs, uh, this question of, well, it can't be true. Surely I can't actually invest ethically and make more money in the long term. I've got to think about the trade-off. And it's because I think it's not just more generally in life. I think it's about our money. We're so used to thinking about trade-offs. Um, but actually, it may be that there aren't always trade-offs there, um, or at least not the trade-offs that we think are there. So I'm very proud of the performance story that the broader sector has and also that we have as Future Super. We're always worth uh, noting that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future returns, which is a good disclaimer, yep. but, but actually is true and, and you know, really important for people to digest that. And that only makes it really hard, makes it even harder, right? Because we don't really know what's going to happen in a short time horizon. At Future Super, we're taking a long-term view, uh, which means that, for example, we classify ourselves um, as a high-risk investment, which is a term that most super funds would use, uh, either medium risk or high risk. The point being, don't invest for the short term. If you've got one or two years um, before you think that's it, you're going to take all of your superannuation out, then of course, um, a superannuation fund that's investing for the long term isn't going to be the right one for you. You need a financial advisor to help you make that decision. But if you've got five years, 10 years, multi-decades uh, to your retirement, then you can look around and choose the ethical super fund that's right for you um, because there's going to be an option out there that can work. Which is a very strong message to our younger generations. I've, I've got a 22-year-old daughter and I know, you know, she, 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 she is thinking about her future and she is thinking about um, the environment and, and what their generation are inheriting. So I, I imagine you do have, you know, I, I, do you have more younger members? Would yeah, we have, we have a disproportionately slightly younger member, membership demographic um, and slightly lower balance than the average person in the superannuation sector would have. Um, what I find interesting is when you think about, you know, when should you be making this decision? Well, of course, you should make the decision to invest ethically, um, you know, at the earliest possible moment. But what I think is really interesting is if, if these ethical superannuation funds tend to invest for the longer term and therefore prepared to take a bit more risk in order to try and drive a higher return over that longer time horizon, well, the average person at retirement has still got decades to live. Mm. And so this is something I think lost on many people. Now, of course, it's, you've got to work on your own circumstance, your own health, you know, where you might be in life, what other assets you might have. But in general, a lot of people in the superannuation industry in Australia are, are taking not enough risk 
with their superannuation. They're, they're getting to retirement and thinking, okay, now it's time to batten down the hatches. Well, the thing is you might live into your 90. Uh, and so just relying on the bank uh, uh, deposit return, the very low interest rate or otherwise taking a defensive approach to your superannuation might not actually be a good idea for you. Yeah, yeah, changing, changing times, changing health um, impacts how, well, the kind of decisions we have to make, right? Um, so I'd love to get into some of the initiatives. You've, you've made a really strong case for how Future Super through your products is living its purpose and, and creating change and creating a movement. You've also been involved in other initiatives. Can you share some of those with us? Yeah, I think Future Super sees itself as part of a movement as we've definitely established. Um, we're not the only people creating a climate movement. We're part of an ecosystem. Um, probably a good initiative to think about that demonstrates that is that a couple of years ago, students from across the country approached us and said, look, we are striking for the climate. Um, we are getting a lot of momentum uh, uh, and we want businesses to support us. Can you help us? And so we created a non-branded, not business as usual campaign a platform uh, where businesses could come together and pledge to give their employees time off uh, to go and attend those protests and those marches and rallies around the country. That was really powerful. Um, a huge number of people across Australia went to, those, um, went to those events and supported those students because their employers were able to give them time off. We had more than 3,000 companies from across Australia, including some of the largest companies in Australia, um, pledge their support for that particular campaign. We got it started uh, by going to our friends, companies like Atlassian and Intrepid, who we've spoken about earlier, and Canva. Um, and then we brought on more and more uh, over time um, to join that movement of businesses that are prepared to say to their employees, yes, we understand that the permafrost is thawing, that the world is burning and that the temperature is changing and we need you to take climate action. So go out there and back those students. Those campaigns were led by students, they were driven by students, but we were very happy to come in behind them and support them. Why do that? Uh, there's no members that join Future Super as a result of a campaign like that. So why would we do that? Um, because that's part of our purpose. We're here to solve the climate crisis and money is powerful, but it's not the only lever that we can pull. Our purpose is ultimately about solving the climate crisis. We believe the most powerful way we can contribute to that is of course by helping people switch their superannuation, pull their money out of yesterday's industries and invest in climate solutions, but it's not the only lever of change. And, and through that um, movement, through that initiative, you actually empowered other business leaders to, to do something for their employees that, um, you know, for some maybe they took, did do it as a tick in the box, but I, I, I think the vast majority, and, and my business was part of that movement, and I watched how quickly it grew. I think I was in, in the early hundreds and I watched how quickly it grew. And, um, and just some of the chatter I heard from people about how proud it made them feel that their organisation was part of that. And this is the opportunity for businesses, isn't it, to actually make a stand. Well, that's the interesting thing here is that at the end of the day, uh, what we did is I wrote a bunch of resources for our own team to help them work out, you know, that they were closing down for the day, what we, letting them know they could take leave, et cetera. And we open sourced those resources uh, in a non-branded way for lots of other businesses to use as well. And that was really powerful. But I think what the lesson here is, is that the employee now 
the employee value proposition is in fact the term that HR professionals use. Uh, the employee value proposition is not just about the remuneration uh, these days, it's about something bigger. It, it went from being about pay to pay plus a great ping pong table and you know uh, vending machine in the company and, and whatever. And now it's gone further, which is to purpose. Um, the biggest companies in Australia understand that if they're going to keep talent, and let's remember Australia is fundamentally a services economy, um, you know, much bigger um, education, uh, for example, is one of our largest exports for a services economy. Uh, people go to work and human capital is a big percentage of what drives our gross domestic product. That means that at the end of the day, competition for people is huge. And if you want to keep those people, yes, you've got to pay them right. You've got to have the right lead. You've got to have the right culture. You've got to have the right extra incentives but you've also got to have something bigger. If you feel that your company is allowing you to demonstrate who you are, that your identity is wrapped in, up in your passions, the fact that you believe in empathy and love and that those things drive you to want to take action on climate change and other issues, then the, your company being willing to match you where you are with your identity, even when there are some naysayers out there, because that's what authenticity is really about, right? Being willing to stand for something even when it might be hard. Actually, that's created huge momentum and positive energy for those companies. It's become a recruitment edge for some of the largest companies in Australia who backed that particular campaign and now continue to support their employees. You think about Atlassian as one example, they're fighting for technology talent. Their mm. entire multi-billion dollar business is based on what's between two ears um, but for a few thousand employees. And so having the top talent being willing to stay there and be proud of being at Atlassian, that's an example of what it means to be a purpose-driven business now. Totally. And that goes back to what we were talking about before with narrative and worldview. And that narrative and worldview is even more important for your employees as, it, as important as it is for the customers you attract. Um, I, I've borrowed a Seth Godin term, people like us. Um, and he talks about people like us do things like this. I've kind of appropriated that it and, and adapted it to people like us believe things like this. And when you can get clear on what are the core beliefs that move your people, your employees, your customers, your suppliers, your partners, your investors, that's when you've got gold, isn't it? And, and like you say, that's the war for talent and um, acquisition of that talent and retention and, and engaging them to really care about what they're doing. This uh, people like us uh, idea and people who believe in things that we believe in, very powerful idea. And I've seen it demonstrated um, and used by a number of different people over the years and different organizations. A lot of the intellectual property that sits behind Get Up as a social movement was built by the same people who went and were very early in helping build uh, Barack Obama's pres presidential campaign. And one of the tactics that they used on that campaign, also one of, the, uh, one of the instruments used by NGOs in Australia is to ask someone to donate a dollar. Um, now you might, for a lot of years there, you would get asked $20 a month, please become a donor, et cetera. And you may have noticed in your email inbox, suddenly the asks became a dollar. Why? Uh, because then you identify as a donor. You identify as part of that movement. You're more likely to turn up and do the door knocking and the phone banking, et cetera, because you identify as a donor and you'll likely re-donate again and again and again. It's so powerful to be able to help people work out what their identity is. Um, there's another... Um, piece of intellectual property that drove that Obama campaign, a book by, the, by a guy named Marshall Gantz. Oh, my 
God, go. I use <laughs> this all the time. I use go. him for my brand story framework with my there clients. And so the core framework there that you'll be familiar with of self, us, and now is a personal narrative concept that's basically about saying, uh, I will share my story with you. I will get your story out of you. It turns out that we share so much. Now this moment that we're in right now requires us to take action together. It's a very powerful way of taking someone on a journey where they understand and discover what their identity is, understand that they're part of now a community of people and then move ahead and take action accordingly. Love it. I love, I use that framework and it is, it's about identity and it's about a movement. It's about the movement that you identify, the movement of change that you identify with and you're prepared to be part of. And it is such a simple framework and yet it's so powerful. Um, it's at the core, going back to our earlier conversation, of why Future Super is not just about people switching their super. It is about more than that. It's about a story. It's about a narrative that gets shared between members and their friends and their families. And, you know, we've had someone, for example, who says, look at the start of my yoga class, I tell people about Future Super. And, and this lovely lady in Newcastle sent us an email uh, to that effect. It's that type of behaviour that differentiates what I'm trying to do, what we're trying to do, what all our members are trying to do in joining Future Super. It's ultimately not about just making yourself feel better because that's not enough. It's about these bigger things that you and I are talking about. I've got goosebumps. Thank you. It's, it's <laughs> amazing to share that with you. Um, and, and, and this is the power of, you know, um, purpose. It's the power of purpose. It's the power of being a purposeful organisation. Um, it's the power of supporting purposeful organisations. And it's the power of getting on that path to purpose. And it really, really brings to life to me the power of true purpose. I see so many businesses who say, yeah, we're purpose-led. Look at our purpose statement. And all it does is provide a passive statement of context for what they already do for their product I, or service. I feel very sorry for the vast majority of people who are in that space, right? I mean, I do not understand how you could turn up to work every day um, and work for an organisation whose purpose is not clear. Um, but, but, but even more than that, I mean, of course, you know, we need a job with many reasons to turn up for your own purpose in your own life. But more than that, I can't imagine starting a business whose purpose is to enrich someone. Um, that If that is your purpose that you've got in mind, then you will go astray along the way, in my view, or at least you're likely to, uh, more likely to. than if your purpose is about other people, then it gives you a decision-making framework because from purpose clearly flows decision-making framework. You spoke earlier about clarity. Well, clarity leads to the ability to move fast. Um, you can only move fast if you don't have to spend a lot of time debating what will we do. So for example, um, we found ourselves during COVID with a $100,000 check hitting our bank account. Um, with this uh, check came from the government, every type of company uh, got that type of stimulus payment, as you might remember. Uh, and so we didn't have to spend time worrying about what to do with that $100,000. We knew quite immediately, give it back to members. There are a whole range of members who had to deplete their superannuation savings to draw down on them, to fund their life. They lost a job, what they lost hours, whatever it might've be. Let's use it to put it back in people's accounts. That was super obvious. We all knew we had to do it. We did it the next day, off we went. No problems, no time wasted debating. Is it right? Is it wrong? And by the way, why would it have been wrong to keep it? Because we were fast growing. Mm. Um, even though the markets were crashing, we were having a record number of new people joining Future Super and the companies we were investing in during that crash were performing better 
uh, than the rest of the economy. So we found ourselves in this incredibly fortunate situation surrounded by so many other people who are being challenged uh, by job losses and broader issues in the economy, you know, essential workers having to turn up for work in the most stressful environments. There were so many people who were doing it tough. We were not one of them. So it wouldn't have been right for us to keep it. But if our purpose was to enrich ourselves, we would have made a very different decision or we would have debated because of guilt or other things, we would have debated that decision for a long time. That's the power of being purpose-led. Uh, one of our corporate values, uh, if you like, I don't love the term, but anyway, um, is to be worthy of our members' trust. Uh, it's core to what we do. So when we're making a decision, if a member was in the room, what decision would they make? Yeah, that's good. That's And that clarity, I mean, it sounds so simple, and yet the knock-on effect of having that clarity must be so good for business. You know, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Because in that example I just gave where we, you know, we want to be worthy of our members' trust, we think that our members want us to scale. We, we think that our members want us to drive climate action. So it's not just a reductionist view of the world. It's actually a growth uh, mindset that we bring to our, our purpose because at the end of the day, we're not going to deliver on our purpose if we're not fast growing, bringing lots of people in, um, prophesizing about our movement, investing really, really well, um, telling the story of those investments and then getting more people excited about the power of their money. That's ultimately the virtuous circle that we're on. Yeah, brilliant. And and the so the the hundred thousand dollars that you redistributed, what feedback did you get from your members who who were the recipients? Yeah, people were very surprised. I mean, it's it's even when you are a customer of a purpose led business, I think it's still easy to forget how deeply ingrained that purpose is, or perhaps it's hard to even judge how authentic. Um, the people in that business are because at the end of the day, there's just a handful of people making decisions in, in, you know, in any business, however they work. Um, and so uh, people were genuinely surprised. They did not expect it at all. Um, a bunch of people who were eligible for it said, no, nope, I'm fine. But a lot of people who were eligible for it were actually very grateful um, and took it. But it was only a small percentage of our future super members overall that needed to take money out of their accounts. And so it was highly targeted at that audience. So another question I wanted to ask you, um, because we've actually talked about the relationship between purpose and profit, and I think you've you've been very clear on that. But have there been any challenges um, that have have presented as a result of your purpose? Like, ha has it forced you to have to navigate certain issues? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, wrapped up in our purpose is authenticity. If we don't authentically deliver what we say we will deliver then we'll last five minutes. And that's an easy thing to say. It's a really hard thing to go and do. For example, uh, we have to make sure that the many hundreds now, over 600 uh, different companies and different styles of investment that we make on our members' behalf, every single one of them has to be deeply interrogated for its own internal ethics. We invest in large, some large companies on stock markets in other countries. And the data, uh, you can't just ring up a provider and say, hey, is this an ethical company? Please just tell me a yes or no answer. It doesn't work like that. And so we've had to invest very significant time, energy, resources into innovating a new way of doing our ethical screening work. Um, there are data providers where you can just buy, literally buy spreadsheets that says, is this company ethical? Yes or no. Now it says a little bit more than that, but that's the point, a rating system. And we have found that data to not be good enough. Um, if you want to be authentic about what you're doing, then you have to go and do that primary research. And that's very challenging to go and do. Um, that's probably the best example I can give you of where um, our purpose, which manifests itself in authentic execution, 
means that we have to do things that other people don't. Okay, and but I imagine the the people, the employees that are attracted that work with you are the ones that are prepared to go that extra mile and invest their time to do that, that rather than right. someone going, oh, why the hell do I have to do this and just adding to my workload? Yeah, and this is the power of alignment. Um, what I've grown to understand um, over the last eight years of building this business um, is that alignment is critical. Shareholders, members, employees, all and those involved in your governance and, and regulatory side of what you do, all have to be aligned. If that alignment gets out of shape in any direction, it doesn't work. But the power of that alignment is amazing because then you've got employees who own the business, by the way, that's how we work at Future Super. You've got employees, um, which is very exciting uh, because it creates alignment, but also actually deeper than that, it creates a little bit of alignment. The bigger part of the alignment actually comes from, I am here to solve the climate crisis. That's why I took this job. Um, and when that's the case, you orient toward that purpose naturally. You don't even have to talk about it. It doesn't have to be on some statement on the wall. You know, our mission, please everybody remember it. We all know why we're turning up to work. Uh, our members also know what they're buying because it's so clearly labeled on the tin. Um, mm. And so it creates this alignment where if, for example, uh, there are times when renewable energy may not perform as well uh, as other form of energy, short-term energy fluctuations, spikes in the market, maybe we won't perform as well. Our members understand it because they're here for the long-term, they're here for the change yeah. and they're here for the climate crisis. So that alignment is really, really powerful. And I think that's key to, to what you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, tell me a bit about this employees owning the business. Uh, well, it's very important to us that um, we understand from an aligned perspective who owns us. So uh, the vast majority of Future Super is owned by philanthropic individuals, impact investors, not-for-profit foundations, and our employees. That's a wonderful ownership model. Uh, you don't see private equity funds owning us. You don't see venture capital funds owning us. We've got nothing against those parts of the financial sector, um, but it's just not um, how we've chosen to build our business. And so what I've been able to do is arrange to remove from our capital table, which is our ownership uh, of our business, those entities, we've had a bank owned us at one point, we managed to give them their money back and we had a, a venture capital fund own us, very good people, very ethical people, ethical bank, most ethical, impactful venture capital fund in the country, great people to do business with, no offence to them. But I love the idea of, of having people with a very long-term view uh, who own our business and our employees, um, of course, um, who are pre-retirement and so by definition have um, you know, quite a long time before uh, they cark it, if I can use that uh, horrible way of thinking about it, they're also taking a long-term view, right? And so the power of making sure that your for-purpose business has a for-purpose ownership model is really important. We are not here to generate lots of returns for offshore bankers. No offense to them. They own a lot of Australia, a lot of, um, a lot of our companies, but that's just not what I what I want to turn up to work and work for every day. I want to work for our purpose, and by having employees on the company, but also having impact investors, foundations, and other philanthropic individuals who take a long-term view, that's actually part of your alignment story as well. That long-term view is vital, and this is where leadership comes in. And you know, clearly, you, um, you, and your team are embodying that. It reminds me of a story I read about Paul Polman, who was the CEO of Unilever. And um, in his first day on the job, I think it was in 2010 or something like that, um, he walked in and, and he announced publicly that Unilever would no longer be taking a short-term view. They weren't going to provide quarterly 
um, quarterly earnings guidance and he said to investors, um, if that doesn't you know, fit, sit with you, then I suggest you take your money elsewhere, which was such a ballsy move, right? And, and he joked on a podcast, he said it was my first day in the job and I figured they couldn't fire me on my first day. But, but this is leadership and, and I think um, what, you are, um, what, you, what you are showing and what Paul Polman has shown and what other leaders are showing is that business is the vehicle to lead society. Governments alone can't do it um, for many, many reasons and we need business to actually take that mantle of leadership and move forward with it. Yeah, we um, certainly do because we need every part of our community all working in the same direction. So business is not the be all and end all. Uh, I have uh, so much time and respect for those who are working in the not-for-profit part of our community, working for the public service, uh, etc. So that So we all have to work in unison, uh, but you're right, the, the untapped power is in business. That's the part where we see the least amount of alignment so far and therefore the biggest opportunity for change. And so for me, uh, transitioning into being a business leader has been a wonderful opportunity to exercise leadership, which is of course a verb not allowed, um, in a different way, in a different dynamic, but for the same fundamental purpose at the end of the day. And that brings me nicely back to the beginning because we jumped straight into this and I didn't want to stop you because um, where, you were, where you were taking us was so good. But I just want to go back for a moment to get up. You know, you led get up for about four years and, and then you started Future Super with Adam. Um, activist organisation, business in the superannuation industry. What are the differences? Uh, well, I guess what's important to note is what's the same, which is the purpose is to solve the climate crisis, right, uh, at the end of the day. And that's a core purpose for anyone involved in environmental activism or environmental business. Uh, there's so much more that unites us than divides us when it comes to that purpose. Uh, but uh, another thing that I think, funnily enough, that I've noticed is the same is that the skills you learn in building an organisation. When I was at GetUp, the membership tripled, the revenue more than tripled, um, and the staff headcount more than tripled. And so I had to learn so much about every part of how you build an organization. And it's one of my great um, sort of secret lessons that I have in life that allows me to be a really successful angel investor when I help support other people who are starting their businesses. Is I was just talking to someone this morning whose, whose value of their company has tripled. And he came from a not-for-profit background um, where, where he learned so much. Very few people, I think, understand the power of building a not-for-profit and of building a business is so similar. Mm -hmm. um, there are very few people who jump from not-for-profit world into the business world. And so I think it's this like almost secret lesson that I have that I'm super excited that I, um, uh, that I have this lesson. But what I would say um, uh, in terms of what's different um, is, first of all, I find that a really hard question to answer. Um, I think one of the things that's different, and I feel quite guilty about this, is that in a business, um, because if you get your, you know, your ownership structures right, your financing structures right, you can think very long-term and you can forward fund ideas. In a not-for-profit, you're very much running to a budget, um, whereas in a for-profit or for-purpose business, you can go to investors, bring money in and be able to say, you know what, I'm going to lower the fees that our members are paying today because I know that over the next two years, it'll be affordable and I'll just fund that for two years. Mm. Um, we can do that sort of thing which I now know is critical because it allows you to be more urgent 
This is an urgent challenge that we're working towards. And if you have people who've got a balance sheet to be able to bring that in, um, it's a really, really powerful thing. Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for um, zeroing in on what's similar, because I think that's a more pertinent question to the two. And ultimately, it comes down to your purpose, doesn't it? And the yes, change exactly. that you want to create and leadership. Um, so, so we're going to wrap up. But, but before we do, I want to ask you, let's fast forward nine years to 2030, you know, global goals, um, deadline, and knowing where we are today and what needs to happen. Um, what, what do you think the world can look like in 2030? Well, I have great hope that we can make great progress. We are starting to see huge efforts in uh, ending deforestation, uh, for example, and the amount of carbon that could be stored in our forests if you end deforestation is huge. Uh, we're seeing massive change in our electricity system, massive change in technology. We now know that we can roll out batteries and pump hydro and get to 100% renewables, and we know we can do it by 2030. We won't, we won't get there by 2030. I'm confident of that, but we could. And let's hope we get as close as we possibly can by then. But for, my, for me personally, the superannuation sector by 2030, the place that I'm playing, it's almost $5 trillion, uh, uh, projected cool. to be almost $5 trillion by, by 2030. It will overtake the banking system in terms of size. And that means that what will be true in 2030 is going to be determined now. If enough of us put pressure on our superannuation uh, funds to change either by lobbying them, leaving them, whatever it might be that's right for you. Uh, that is a very powerful lever because if that five, almost $5 trillion sector by 2030 can invest in the right things, then that will make a very big difference to whether Australia is a positive contributor to the global climate crisis challenge. Um, we know that countries around the world are looking to Australia for leadership. We're an important middle power. We've got an important Glasgow uh, Council of the Parties coming up in just a few months' time where it is critical that Australia not be seen as a global laggard, but rather as a leader. Now, can we make that big transition? Well, we're the sunniest country in the world. We're the sunniest country in the world. We're one of the windiest. I think we can make that transition. Yes, we can. And I just want to pull out that stat that you shared earlier in the interview, that um, just 7.7% of super could fund Australia's transition to 100% clean energy. Um, so on that note, and that's a really inspirational stat because it feels achievable, right? Um, and on that note, I, I just want to thank you, Simon. I really, really enjoyed our discussion. I think, you know, you've just, you've just shown us what's possible in an industry that is such a traditional industry. And I hope it provides inspiration for listeners to really look at their business and look at what they can do with it because the opportunity is huge. Thank you so much for coming on. Any last um, comments? Just so grateful for you being willing to do this podcast. This topic that you're covering is amazing. Um, and I hope people share it widely because love and money are very powerful intersections. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing?